a rather old, gosh, I can't see anybody. Is there anybody there? <laughs> a rather old, disheveled man with his clothes were pretty worn, his toes poked through his boots. He was in desperate need of a shower and he obviously was on the whatever. He wandered into a church. It was an upmarket church. All the shirts worn by men were pressed. The suits were beautiful. The ladies were dressed in their finery. And this man sat down at the back of the church and he was approached by a deacon who was concerned for the name of the church and asked, why did you come here today? And he said, oh, God told me to. I prayed and he told me to come to this church. And the deacon said, I suggest that you pray again that God might send you to another church. The man got up and walked out and a week later he came back to the same church. The deacon met him again and said, didn't I suggest you pray that God might send you to another church? The man said, yes, you did. I, I, I didn't feel welcome here. So I prayed and God said he understood my position because neither did he. And he asked me to bring that message back to you. This morning you are most, most welcome. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you dress like, your age, whether your toes poke through your boots, whether you're in need of a shower, you're more than welcome. God seeks people to worship him, and that's the basis, the sole basis of our coming together. <clears throat> Peter was a fisherman, and he became a disciple of Jesus. And he wrote two letters, and we at Botany Life Community Church are working our way through his first letter, and we've now come to a very practical part of the book. Now, I think I need to set a rule here this morning. I would like, when I finish, for the aisles to be kept clear because I fancy I may be lynched at the end of the message and I want to get a quick getaway. Because <laughs> what is in this reading today is not the most pleasant, particularly when we put it into context. So if you've got a Bible, whether it's one of these or on your laptop or phone or whatever, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and there is a whole change of tone now as we come to verse 13. We are going to read verses 11 and 12 which Brad touched on last week to give a background. Verse 11 he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Now we come to our five verses we're going to unpack a little this morning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the kings as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. 
and honour the king. About 27 years before Peter wrote that, he was one day in the courtyard of the high priest of Jerusalem and he was standing round their fire warming himself and his good friend Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, was on trial before Pontius Pilate, the curator. As Peter stood there, two ladies confronted him and said, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he said, no, I'm not. And then he was confronted a third time and denied it again. And the last who confronted him said, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. And the question that arises out of that is what, a bit, what is it about you and me that betrays us as followers of Jesus Christ. If we were to do a stand-up of people like they do at the police and you try and identify the, the supposed criminal you saw, what would make you or me stand out as a Christ follower? I want you to imagine now with me that we go back 2,000 years and we are citizens of Rome And we live in round about 60 years AD. And we have become followers of Christ. And Nero is on the throne. He is the emperor. And in AD 64, in the month of July, there is a fire in Rome. No one knows quite who started the fire. But if we go and listen to a historian at the time, living at the time. His name was Tacitus, and I want to read you from his journal. It's a bit old-fashioned, but Tacitus said this. All the endeavors of men, all the emperor's pleadings, and all his going to the gods did not suffice to allay the scandal or banish the belief that the fire had been ordered by Nero. And so to get rid of this rumour, Nero set up as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty a class hated for their abominations who are commonly called Christians. Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Accordingly, arrests were made of those who confessed to be Christian and then on their evidence... An immense multitude was convicted, not so much on the charge of arson as it was because of hatred of the human race. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts. What was I doing wrong? Having a beard. Having a I spoke about this man who came who was dishevelled. <laughs> Please forgive my beardedness. Accordingly, arrest was made of Mark, uh, uh, sorry, was made of those who confessed to being Christian. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts and torn to death, torn to death by dogs and lions. Others were crucified. Others were soaked in oil and tied to poles 
and set a light to illuminate Nero's garden. Nero had thrown open his grounds for the display and was putting on show for the circus. That was what it was like in Rome in about AD 64. And because of that, men and women scattered and left Rome. I remember as a kid, we got a, um, we heard about petrol and how that flame and petrol don't quite mix. And we wanted to test that theory. So us boys got together and grabbed one of mum's oven trays about the size of an A4 piece of paper with inch sides standing all round. We took it out on the lawn. We put petrol in it looked at each other and struck a match and threw it in. We got a heck of a fright, and we were so frightened, we went and grabbed the hose and, turned, and we scattered the flame. And that is exactly what Nero was doing. Nero scattered Christianity. And so we, living back there in 2,000 years ago, as, as I'm asking you to imagine, we scattered. Some went north and went away west into a land called Britain, where the Gauls lived. Others went west and into India and into China. Others went south down into Africa and Ethiopia. Let's pretend that we are those who went to the south side of the Black Sea, not far from Turkey. It's an area known as Bithynia. And we have settled there. We still follow our Christian faith. And as we are there living, a message arrives that the Apostle Peter has written a letter to those who are living in Asia, Bithynia and Cappadocia and so on, and we're in Bithynia. The letter arrives and we're all called, those who are Christians, to gather at a certain place at a certain time, and the letter is going to be read by one of the elders. We arrive, we take our seat, the elder opens the scroll and starts to read. Dearly beloved, from Peter an Apostle to the saints scattered, and I wonder whether the elder choked a little and put the scroll down and said, what a way to start. To remind us that we are scattered, we know that. And here we are scattered because of the hatred of Nero. And then he goes on to read through the letter and eventually he comes to the real choke in the verse we just read together. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to Nero. Nero it is who has called the blood of some of your parents or some of your friends or some of your sons or some of your daughters to soak into the soil at the bottom of the Colosseum. We're to submit to Nero. Peter, surely you've got to be joking. And the first point I want to make today that if we are to live as those who are genuine Christ followers and have an attitude that betrays us, it's this, that we live submissively. We've recently been told that there's to be a petrol tax in Auckland. Live submissively. We've been told that there will be no increases in our taxes yet there could still be a toilet tax, live submissively. How far does living submissively go? There are two aspects of what I want to raise with you this morning. The principle, live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans isn't a very nice expression in our modern day language, it's those who don't follow Christ. 
live good lives among them. Now, there is an incredibly important principle to establish right here in this question of submitting to authority, and that is that God establishes every authority, has done throughout history, and will continue to do so. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon at the time, and he had a dream. And he couldn't understand the dream, so he gathered all his wise men together, and they stood and bowed before his throne, and among them was a young Hebrew boy called Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I've had a dream, guys. Not only do I want you to interpret it, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You've got to sort out what the dream is yourself and then interpret it. And if you're not, you're going to be torn limb from limb. Daniel said, sir, can I have more time? And the king said, you certainly may. Daniel went and prayed, and this is what he wrote. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power is his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. It's those words that God himself it is who deposes kings and raises up others. Remember the time when Jesus himself was brought before Pilate for judgment. When he was arrested, he was first of all, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was first of all sent to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Annas had a weak game with him and sent him on to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest, had him blindfolded, spat upon him, punched him, and whipped him, and sent him to Pilate. Pilate found out he was in the jurisdiction of Herod, so sent him to Herod. Herod played for a while and sent him back to Pilate. And Jesus was tired of this toing and froing and decided he would say no more. And Pilate said to him, don't you know that I have authority to either free you or crucify you? And Jesus made the statement, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The fact that Pilate was able to have Jesus crucified was authenticated by God himself who raised up Pilate to be in place at that particular time. In Acts chapter 4 we read this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So behind Pilate stood Nero. Behind Nero stood God. Behind Nebuchadnezzar was God. Behind Darius was God. Behind Pharaoh in the days when the children of Israel were captured for 400 years was God himself. Artaxerxes, a king of the time, allowed Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because God was in control. In Romans chapter 13, Paul writing said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, they had some crazy rules in those days. Here's some of them. Women were forbidden to cry at funerals. 
Those contemplating suicide must firstly obtain permission of the Senate in Rome. Imagine writing, dear, 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 dear Senate, can I please commit suicide? Those killed by lightning strike were not allowed to be buried. They had to rot where they fell. It was permissible for fathers to murder their whole family, but you had to do the whole lot. You couldn't be selective and just take the lives of some of them. You know, how do you live in a context or in a world where those sort of rules exist? Peter does not gild the lily. Live submissively. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees were seething about Jesus and set out to entrap him. And they said, should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, give me a coin. And they gave him a coin. And he said, whose inscription is on the side? And they said, Caesar. He said, well, give to Caesar that which is Caesar and to God that which is God. God was, uh, Jesus was saying to those people who listened that day, it is correct, it is God-ordained that you should pay your taxes. Now, this is where I get a little bit nervous. I have been um, a tax inspector for 30 years. I well remember, I'm not going to regale you with a lot of stories because a lot of them are pitiful, but I remember one in the days of Robert Muldoon when he was keen to get New Zealand um, growing and so he instituted what were called export incentives. And under the rule that he set up at the time, people could buy new machinery and and, and so get the exports of New Zealand booming. But there were exceptions, and there were some things you were not allowed to claim as a deduction, as an extra deduction, as an export incentive. And among them, the things you could not claim was for fishing nets. And I remember being involved in the investigation of a rather big fishing company. I won't tell you where in the country it was. And I found that they had claimed this deduction for fishing nets. So we had quite a to-do and quite an argument and, the th and we got more and more involved in the argument and eventually we got a legal opinion from their side telling us that these purse sane nets, extremely wide, extremely long from great trawlers, were not the nets contemplated by statute. And in fact they were not nets at all. They said they're not nets, all they are are holes tied together by string. <laughs> I rang the solicitor, I knew him well, I said, you're joking. He said, I'm not joking, I'm embarrassed, because that's the instruction I've got from my client. We've got to be careful that we go the extra mile in terms of our own taxation obligations. Can I leave it there? <laughs> Paul also wrote... I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is lifting the bar. It is one thing to ask me to submit to authority. It is another to ask me to pray for them. Can I ask you, without wishing to be silly or facetious or smart-alecky, when did the name of... Winston Peters, our acting Prime Minister, last feature in your prayer. When did Jacinda Ardern last feature in your prayer? When did our Queen last feature in my prayer? Paul is saying we should pray for them, we should submit to them, we should pray for them, and now we should also thank God for them. 
and seek that they will rule under God's guidance. I tell you, that's why I've asked to keep the aisles clear because I'm going to make a dash. We are to submit, we are to pray, we are to thank God for them. That then raises the issue, is there a case for civil disobedience? Is there ever a scenario when we say we're not going to do what the government has asked? Back in AD 298, only 300 years after Christ, there was a centurion called Marcellus. And he was martyred. And he objected for various things that were going on at the time. And he is quoted as saying in part, listen, he said, I cease from this military service of your emperors, and I scorn to adore your gods of stone and wood, which are deaf and dumb idols. If such is the position of those who render military service, that they should be compelled to sacrifice to gods and emperors, then I cast down my vine staff, which is his staff of authority and belt. I renounce the standards, and I refuse to serve as a soldier. I threw away my arms, for it was not seemly that a Christian man who renders military service to the Lord Christ should render it also by inflicting earthly injuries. He was on trial when he made that statement. He was taken out and killed. The scribe who was at the trial, who was meant to be taking the minutes of that trial, refused to do so. He also was taken out and killed. Josephus, in his Antiquity of the Jews, an old, old book, and Josephus was a very well-known author um, um, authority at those days, tells the story of Jewish resistance when Pilate introduced the images of the emperor into Jerusalem. Now these dear Jewish people had no wish whatsoever to bow down to these idols that Pilate, after Christ was crucified, was introducing into Jerusalem. So they lay down in the courtyard of the palace for five days and didn't move. Pilate ordered that his soldiers surround them and threaten slaughter if the Jews did not submit. As soon as the soldiers surrounding the men threatened them to slaughter, they pulled back their shirt collars or whatever they had and exposed their necks and said, go ahead. Pilate relented. That was civil disobedience. But is there any biblical account of civil disobedience? Well, you only need to go back into the book of Exodus where the, part, where the instruction came out from Pharaoh that all the male children born to Hebrew women were to be killed. And two dear ladies, midwives, by the name of Shifra and Puha, decided they would not do so. Civil disobedience. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were three boys who were told to bow down before the idols of Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to do so. Nebuchadnezzar was outraged and heated a furnace to put them in seven times and the soldiers who picked up these three men to throw them in died because of the heat but the three men entered the furnace. One of the most thrilling little phrases of scripture I believe is when Nebuchadnezzar looked inside the furnace and said didn't we cast in three men bound? Now there are four men loose. And these three men were brought out and made governors in Babylon. Not long after that, we have Daniel as well, and that was the same scenario. Martin Luther King identified what he considered to be civil disobedience. Any man who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust 
and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail in order to arouse the conscience of the community on the injustice of the law is at that moment expressing the very highest respect for law. This brings up the problem, though, of how far can civil disobedience go. Peter doesn't say anything about civil disobedience. And let me say, express my view here, and this is where I'm starting to get a little nervous, let me say quite clearly that the only biblically-based reason to disobey a law of mankind is when the law of men and the law of God are in conflict. Now, without wishing to go into too much detail, we have nurses on strike at the moment. We have strikes going on all the time. How involved do we get as those who are followers of Christ when Peter is asking that we live submissively because that is to be an act of our betrayal to God? What is it about it that betrays you? In Peter's case, it was his speech. In my case and your case, it is because we are submissive. I mentioned some of the silly rules that existed way back. Some more modern rules that have never been rescinded off the law books are these. For a man living in Iowa in the USA, it is illegal to kiss a woman in public if the man has a moustache. Live submissively. For a woman living in Vermont in the USA, it is illegal to wear false teeth without her husband's permission. Woman, live submissively. For anyone living in France, it is illegal to marry a dead person. In Missouri, it is illegal to drive a car with an uncaged bear in the car. In Florida, for a divorced or widowed woman, it is illegal to skydive on a Sunday afternoon. And for workers in Italy, it is illegal to fall asleep at work. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, Paul says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. It is a very, very important issue that as those who are followers of Christ, we live submissively. I've already mentioned taxes, but Paul also adds that. This is why when you pay taxes for the authorities as God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone that you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. That was the principle. Live submissively. What's the point of living submissively? Peter then goes on to explain that when he says, let me just read it. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Going back into the verse that Brad led to us last Sunday, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. What, what is the doing wrong that Christians were supposedly doing? 
Well, there were three that stand out. And this may sound strange in our modern day, but this was rife in Jerusalem and in Rome. First of all, Christians called each other brothers and sisters. So the inference from that is that there are incestuous relationships. Not only that, they had what they call love feasts. Therefore, the extension of that is Christians believe in orgies. The next was that in eating bread and wine, they were eating the body and blood of Christ. Therefore, there is some form of cannibalism. And these sorts of things, which today we don't accept, were rife in Rome at the time. And Nero was saying, let's stamp out these Christians because if we let them run rife, we're going to have disorder throughout the whole of the empire. And that is the purpose. After living submissively, Paul says, live distinctively. Be different. Don't follow the norms. He says, live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a reason for evil. I'll just skip one and come back to it. Several years beforehand, Peter the Apostle, who was a Jew by nature, fell out with Paul the Apostle, who was also a Jew by birth. But Paul was the one who got a good grip of the fact that Christ was not bringing us into a relationship with himself on the basis of law-keeping. It was by the grace of God alone. And we read in the book of Acts, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were preaching or teaching thy believers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate, and debate with him. So Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and, and, uh, about this, this scenario. What had happened was that Peter, although he came to faith in Christ, believed that there was some sense in which you still had to keep the law. That's why the expression about unless you're circumcised you cannot come to Christ by faith. And Paul said, this is absolutely atrocious. And he and Peter confronted nose to nose, face to face, and they said they had strong debate. That word was used when they released Barabbas. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. That word insurrection is the same word that is used here in Acts when it says that Peter and Paul were at loggerheads with each other over this issue. And Paul was saying, Peter, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the seventh day. You don't have to keep the law at all. You have to have faith in Christ and nothing more. Now let me go back two charts. As citizens of Rome, there was a bondage. There was a bondage to the rule of Nero. And if you failed... Foolish talk existed and people could continue to sow the seed that these Christian people, these Christ ones, were incestuous, had orgies, had some form of cannibalism. As citizens of heaven, there is a freedom which we get. We are not bound to the law keeping. We are free from the bondage of performance. The failure is that we subject ourselves to performance. 
But we are bound as servants of Christ. For Paul goes on to, uh, Peter goes on to say, live as servants of God. And failure is there will be judgment at his return. The law was given simply as a school teacher to bring us to Christ, and the word school teacher is, is like a corralling. You imagine those days when uh, you used to go out and watch the sheep being brought together into a pen, and the dogs were running around the back of them and corral them, and that's all the law was to do, was, was to do for them. The law was not to do any more than that. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So the gospel, if you take the cross with the two arms outstretched, one arm is pointing back into history, the other into the future. And people like us came to faith in Christ. Those back there in Abraham's day came to faith in Christ. The gospel was preached back there as well as into the future as well. And the freedom we have in Christ is because of that. There was a man who arrived in heaven. This is not a biblical story. And he met by Gabriel, and Gabriel said, uh, what can I do for you? He said, I'd like to get entry into heaven. Gabriel said, that's fine. We'll just do a quick survey of your life. You need to get 100 points. And he said, fine, let's go. Gabriel said, okay, tell me about yourself. He said, well, I've been married to the same woman for 50 years. I have never been unfaithful to her, and I've been a good husband. And Gabriel nodded and said, that's very good. You get one point. And I thought, one? And I've got to get to 100. Okay, he said, well, I've been a deacon of the church now for the last 50 years as well. I've served as chairman of deacons, and I've served on this and that amongst the church. And Gabriel said, very, very good. That's a point five of another point. He thought, I've got to one and a half, and I've got to get to 100. And Gabriel said, anything else? He said, yes, I've raised three kids. They're lovely kids. One of them is pastor of Botany Life. <laughs> One of them is, uh, went on and Gabriel said, that's very good. That, that, that's worth two points. Now he's at three and a half. Gabriel said, anything else? He said, for goodness sake, he said, the only way I'm going to get heaven is by the grace of God. And Gabriel said, welcome, come on in. <laughs> you are not going to get to heaven by performance. You get there by confession of sin and by acknowledgement of Christ as Saviour. Live distinctively. At the end of the Second World War, Europe was in ruins. All the villages and towns throughout Germany and Belgium and most of France were in ruins completely. One day a US colonel in his Land Rover with his driver was going through Germany he came to a town which was totally in ruins and he noticed that a baker had set up his stall amongst his fallen down bakery, managed to extract some bricks and get a fire going and managed to get some scones or bread in there and had a table out the front and he had a few goodies on the table. He noticed as the colonel drove past, he noticed a little boy with his hands up on the table looking at these goods. He instructed his driver to pull over. He went across and said to the baker, I'd like to buy several loaves and several scones and several cakes and put them in a bag. And turned back and he gave them to the little boy. And the little boy looked up at the colonel and said, Are you Jesus? Somewhere he had learned 
that this was something that Jesus did. And you and I are to live submissively. You and I are to live distinctively. And you and I are to live inclusively. You see, our little reading today finished with the verses we used to quote at the rallies, didn't we? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. As citizens of heaven, which is our greater calling, we are to love the brotherhood. By that is meant love those who also love Christ. Elsewhere in scripture it says, do good especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are also to fear God. That doesn't mean a fear where we cower, but rather we have absolute respect for God himself. And then as citizens of Rome, we are to respect everyone and to honour the king. And it's bringing us back again to what he opens with, we are to live submissively. I wonder how that gentleman who crept into a church that I spoke about at the beginning would have felt if he had sat and listened to a sermon preached that day on this particular text. Have respect for everyone and love the brotherhood. Dear people, we don't live in Bithynia. We live in Auckland. We never lived 2,000 years ago. But as I draw all this to a close, just think of what it would have been like to have sat in that room as the elder unfolded the scroll and says, Dear fellow believers, those in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, who are strangers and who are scattered, the very next word would have been so uplifting, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. And they would have put aside strangers and scattered and wrapped themselves around with the reality that they were chosen by God. They were elect. And as they went out that day to live their lives and to go on living as Christ would have them live, they had to remember these three great rules. Live submissively. Live distinctively. And live inclusively. Live as those who are Christ so that people will look at us like that little boy with his fingers over the table. Are you Jesus? You seem to be so like him. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come into your holy presence this morning, conscious of how often we graffiti the name of Christ in our lives conscious of how easily we fail the standard. Oh, dear Father, help us to lead lives which glorify your name. Sometimes we may disagree with those in authority. Sometimes they make laws which seem strange and against the very principles we hold dear. But as far as they do not contravene your law, help us, Father, we pray, to be submissive and to be distinctive and to live lives that are inclusive so that those who know not Christ may look at us and say are you Jesus we could never aspire to be that 
but help us, Lord, to be imprints of he who died for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.